Father, as we come this morning in our circumstances to rejoice in you, to hear your word and to meditate on it together, we ask for your blessing. That just as you encouraged Paul in that prison cell and you spoke through him to the Philippians so many years ago, that so by your Holy Spirit you would be with us in Motherwell on this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been on a, a journey the last um, months through the book of Acts, and we've, we, we sort of finished it last week. And again, I would just encourage you, if you, all those sermons are sort of floating around there, just to reread the book of Acts, because it does give a little bit of background to what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem, if you remember the story. He'd spent two years in prison in the coastal place nearby in Caesarea. He'd been tried by three different Roman rulers. And then finally, he was taken as he appealed to the emperor on that sea voyage. And last week, we studied the shipwreck that he endured on his way to Rome. Well, he got to Rome, which you might think is brilliant, except he was in a prison cell in Rome. And he was awaiting trial in that place and possibly execution at the end of the journey. And we know in that place he found himself alone. Everybody left him, except Timothy, who was with him. You can imagine how it was at that point. And then, a friendly face arrived. His name was Epaphroditus. That's going to give the BSL sound translator, who's going to be doing the, the interpretation later, a real a real problem, isn't it? Epaphroditus. It's a great name. I think if you've got any children or grandchildren on the way, you should call them Epaphroditus. We should have more of them around the place today. Epaphroditus came from Philippi, and he was bringing greetings from Paul's friends there. They'd been worried about him, and so they had sent a friendly face to come and to see him. I know in these days, we are very much aware of how our hearts could lift with a friendly face or a friendly voice. Visitors may be a bit rarer to our houses, but a phone call, a card, someone just saying, I'm thinking about you right now with whatever you're going through. So Epaphroditus comes to Paul, who's housebound, prison-bound in prison, and Paul is really touched by his visit. Epaphroditus has traveled 800 miles and has been seriously ill on the journey. So if, if, I'm, if I'm saying to you, or maybe encouraging you today, who could you phone this afternoon and, and give some encouragement to? I'm maybe not asking that much. I'm not asking you to go 800 miles, just to pick up a phone. Epaphroditus comes with a gift. He's brought some money for Paul. And Paul is really touched by that as well, because he knows the Philippians are not rich, and they can't really afford to give him this. So it's a real heart saying that he is receiving it. In fact, he's so overwhelmed by love. And that's the background to the letter he writes back to them in return in Philippians. And it's a joyful letter, because what Paul is saying as he writes it is, God is good. And I know that because I see it in your amazing love for me. I don't worry even in the darkness and even in the fear of a prison cell because I know that God is doing amazing things and I see him doing that in you. We get a, a flavor of that in those first part of verse 2. Grace and peace 
to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to them, bless you people, bless you good people. And so we're going to explore this letter. Because Epaphroditus has a conversation with Paul, we is implicit in this letter, and it's not a superficial one. Very often in churches we do have that. How's it going? Fine. How are you? Fine. You know? But that's not what's happening here at all. They're sharing all the problems, all the joys, all the frustrations, all the real problems that they've got in their church. It's a deep conversation. And Paul writes back this letter of encouragement, and as we go through it, we'll see that there are words also that are hard words. There are words of rebuke as well in that conversation. But Paul begins in thanksgiving. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's giving God thanks for what is happening to the Philippians right now. But he's also looking back to the first day when they began together and seeing how God has continued to use them from the first day until now, how he's watched them grow and mature in their faith. I wonder, and this is the question I want us to pause as we go through today's sermon. As we look at our lives, do we see growth and change? Do we see God's hand upon us? Are we more like Jesus than we used to be? One of the good things about the letter to the Philippians is that actually we've got some information. If you go back to the book of Acts and go to chapter 16, you can read the story of how Paul started the church in Philippi. So we can get a snapshot of what was then and what is now, from the first day until now, as Paul describes it. I actually preached on this in Acts 13, so we can even link the YouTube um, sermon. You can go back and have a look later. What had happened is that Paul had been with them then, and he's writing to them now 10 years later. God has started, and he will continue. And that's one of the big themes of this letter. In fact, we've, we find it, oops, I've lost that. We find it in, chapter, in verse 6, which I've not put up here for some reason, where it says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God has started doing something in you, and he will carry it on. This is Barcelona. I always get the pronunciation of it wrong, but it's La Sagra, Sagrada Familia. Have I got that roughly right? My wife's shaking her head. Well, roughly right, yeah. You've probably been there if you've been to Barcelona. It was started in 1882, and it's been a building site ever since, and it's not complete to this day. They, they were hoping to finish it in 2026, but I suspect that coronavirus may have pushed that back a little bit further. But here's the good thing. As that slow, painful work carries on, it is progressing. It's getting there, even though it takes time. Something beautiful is growing. If we compare that to something a little bit closer to home, you may recognize this. This is McCaig's Tower in Oban. And it's another building that was never finished. I, I was reading about it the other day. They were going to put a, original vision back in the 1880s was to have a, a, an exhibition hall and various other things there, but the guy never finished it. And, of course, we call it to this day a folly. Which type of work are we? Are we an incomplete building 
but God's still working on us, or are we a folly? Which has sort of got stuck and stopped. The, the Greeks, modern Greeks, have made an art form of this. They start to build houses, and the, the way that the tax system worked there, I don't know if it still does, is that complete houses were taxed, but building sites weren't. So what they would do is they would plan a three-story house, they would build two stories, live in the two stories, and never quite get around to finishing the third story. So you had that complete, incomplete work that was never, ever finished. We are incomplete works. God is working on us, but he is not finished yet. And that's because as Christians, we're not just called to be people who believe and go to church, but we're called to be part of God's work of renewal of the whole world that starts in us. And as I said, as we look at Acts 16, we can see a little bit of how God works. When Paul arrived in Philippi in Acts 16, he met a woman called Lydia. She became a Christian, and right away we're told in Acts 16 that she said, Paul, come and live in my house, come and use my house, that might be a place for the work to carry on from. So he was a believer right away who was involved and, and giving herself to, to the work that was to be done. And then, you, you remember the story of the Philippian jailer. Paul got put in prison, and there he sang songs in the prison cell. And, well, to cut a long story short, the jailer became a Christian and got baptized, his whole household. He washed Paul's wounds, and he took, them, he took them to meet his family. And then, we're told that the jailer and Paul and all the others went back to Lydia's house. And that's where the church was starting off. What's my point? That right from the beginning, these people were involved in a work. It wasn't just that they become Christians. It was that God was beginning to work through them. They were what Paul calls partners in the gospel. They were changing, they were growing, they were being used. Paul says, in all my prayers, I pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Here's God still involved in that Philippian church, using them, sending Epaphroditus to encourage Paul. Sometimes we think that we have to get to a certain level of Christian maturity before God will start using us. But hear the message of the gospel of people who have been Christians for five minutes. God's using them. God's involving them in the work that they are doing together. And that word partnership in the gospel has a sort of business implication about it. We are, we're partners in a joint enterprise spreading this word. In fact, we read later on that, that Paul at one point was taking up a collection from his churches to help the Christians who were poor in Jerusalem. And he didn't even bother asking the Philippians because before he'd asked anybody, there these guys were handing money over because they wanted to be involved. They wanted to build up the church elsewhere. And that's why Paul is so joyful as he thinks about them. When we look at ourselves, when we look at one another, do we see commitment like that, joy like that? Do we see God at work? Do we see growth? Let's be honest, very often we don't. We see people who have got stuck. 
And that's why verse 6 is so important. Being confident of this, he who began a good work will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. I might feel I can't change. I might feel I've got stuck. I might feel I can't be a different type of person, but God is working on me. God, who has invested his son, who died on the cross for me, is at work in me. And when God starts a work, God will always finish. There are times we get discouraged. There are times we don't pray as much as we should. There are times we are unfaithful. There are times that we break God's heart, but he began a work and he will not finish. You know that bit from Mastermind all those years ago, I've started, so I'll finish That is what God is saying. And here's the thing. God doesn't build follies. You might think you're stupid. You might think you're a folly. God doesn't build follies. God doesn't fail. There's no such thing as an impossible project for God. You're not that hard. But the context is that he builds a people together in love and in prayer. Verse 7 Paul puts it this way, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. I love you and you love me. I pray for you and you look after me. That's the deal that we have as Christians. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher and he had thousands of people coming to Jesus and he was once asked what the secret of his ministry was and he said simply this, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. So let me challenge you this morning. We should pray for each other. A real deep prayer. Paul says this in verse 8, I testify how I can long, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. That's how he feels about the other Christians in his fellowship, with the affection of Christ. And that word affection there, or compassion, is the same word that is used of Jesus, who had compassion on the people, compassion on the crowds. And it it, it implies in Greek a, a feeling not in the heart, but in the guts. The splankna, as the Greeks called it. A real feeling of love in the guts, a gutsy love that drove Jesus to the cross. Paul says, I love you with a gutsy love. This isn't, how's the weather? I'm fine. See you later. This is real, deep love that people might grow. And that love moves him to prayer. And if you're looking for a prayer for your fellow Christians, there's not a better one than this. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That you may be able to discern what is good. And you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, there are in that too many phrases, and certainly too many for me to break down and preach on, you'll be relieved to know. But just take the whole thing. What a prayer. What would it be if we prayed that for one another? That you would grow. And not only that you would grow, but you would grow so that on the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless, let it be. What a prayer for one another. But here's a question for us as we think about that project of God 
that's going to work for the rest of our lives until it makes us pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be like Jesus? I'll give you a free hint. If you don't, don't read Philippians. Because that's the destination. That's the purpose. If you don't, then I'm going to introduce you to a different theologian. In fact, I'm going to introduce you to the greatest, most powerful theologian in the world. I am, of course, talking about Popeye the Sailor Man. No Popeye the Sailor Man, the most profound man there ever was. He had a a saying which was, I am what I am. I can't do the accent, I'm sorry. I am what I am. And I can see a few folk nodding. Popeye's been around for a while. See, it's really quite a good philosophy, I am what I am, you know, in some ways. He's content with himself. He's a poor, ignorant, brutal-hating, olive-loving, pipe-benching sailor man, and he's content with who he is. That's great. But how unambitious. I am what I am. I'm not going to change. That's just me. There's nothing to learn. There's nowhere to grow. There's no way to improve. It's just me. And it's a little bit like a cartoon character. You see, the thing about cartoon characters is they don't progress, do they? You can watch the same cartoon. It doesn't matter what order you watch them in because they're just the same. They are where they started. They never really change. They never really age. They have no ambition. And sometimes we're a bit like that as Christians. We, we, we get content with ourselves, not in a good way. We begin to say, well, you know, I, I fall out of folk, but that's just me. I've got a bad temper. That's just me. I am what I am. I gossip a bit sometimes, and I don't pray as much as I should, and I'm prone to an argument, and I am what I am. Just take me as I am. I'm not going to change. But the gospel is about change. It's about growth. It's about God's Holy Spirit working in you to do a work that will be carried out to the day of completion, and he has started and he will not finish. That is what it is about. You are not that difficult for God. He wants to take your life and fill you with the Spirit so that you can be transformed. But the first question is, do you want to go on that journey? You know, one of the things that we love about living in Motherwell is how well connected it is in terms of public transport, isn't it? We are so blessed here. I can go down, literally round the corner from my house, and I can get on a train to London. Is that right? I just think that's fantastic. We used to have to walk to a station and then get another train and then change in central and all that stuff. You don't have to do that anymore and get on a train to London. Of course, the first question is, do I want to go to London? That's a great train, but it's not a great train if I want to go to Bells Hill, is it? It's going the wrong way. If I want to go into Glasgow, I don't want to get the train to London. But the other thing is, if I choose to get the train to London, I don't magically then appear in London, do I? There's a journey to go on. I have to get closer and closer to the destination. And sometimes when we think about the Christian hope, we we know that when one day we will get to heaven and we will be perfected. And no, we sometimes say, well, that's fine when I get there. Until then, I am what I am. There's a journey. 
It's a bit like saying, I want to go to London, but because I can't get there in five minutes, I won't bother traveling. But that's not what it's about at all. We've got a long way to go. Even Paul will say later in this letter, I have not achieved all of this, but by God's grace, I am not what I was. I am not what I am. If we are allowing God to work within us, there is a destination. At the end of time, we will be pure and blameless. So that we, in the words of verse 11, produce that fruit of righteousness. But it is being produced now in our lives, even in the prison cell, even in the lockdown. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control, the fruits of the Spirit made manifest in us. That is the whole point. The fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That is what God is doing within us. So that one day, just as people will look on the beauty of creation once God has restored it from all the blights and the landscape and all the sin and all the death, as they look on the beauty of creation and say, oh, glory and praise and honor be to the Lord who made this, who made it good, they will look on us. But just now, right now, even with creation in all its brokenness, we can look on it and see God's handiwork, can't we? From a mountain, from a river, from a valley, from something small. And the same is what God wants for us right now in all our brokenness, is that people will be able to look and see God's handiwork among us and in us. Just as Paul looked at that church in Philippi and was greatly encouraged because God was active, he could see it in everything that was happening. That is the work that God wants to do in you. And the call is simply to open ourselves to him and to his spirit. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Or as we'll sing later, or not sing later as the case may be, finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Amen.